You may or may not have seen my nod to The Hobbit in the title for this um, homily. They had the title of Journey, but I've kind of been all Tolkien lately, so. Journey, quest, pilgrimage. These are grand archetypal words. What makes something a journey? What's the difference between a journey and a trip? A vacation? A ramble? Within the context of spirituality, journey refers to crossing an inner landscape, regardless of whether we also cross an external geography. A spiritual journey is also rooted in a hunger, a longing to become something different, which might be to become more fully ourselves. In his book, Callings, Greg Lavoie writes that when we journey, we hitch ourselves to something bigger, and we invite that something bigger to shift us from ignorance to wisdom, sleep to awakening, woundedness to wholeness, and from being lost to finding our way. To make a journey, then, requires something of those traveling, not necessarily a clear destination or an ironclad plan, but a willingness to be lost to seek direction, and to heed instructions or counsel from sources within and beyond ourselves. In a sense, journey is at the heart of nearly every epic narrative, including those from countless religious traditions. A story isn't a story unless something happens. And that something is often a change in the central character. Journey is less about distance and direction than it is about transformation. The following reminders underscore the universality of the theme of journey not only to our human experience, but also to the world religions that inspire and guide their followers. The founding story of Buddhism tells us that Siddhartha Gautama, known as the Buddha, was born in the sixth century BCE to a royal family. Privileged and protected from the harshness of life he grew curious about what lay beyond the palace walls and asked to be taken on a tour of the city. On that tour, as many of you may know, he witnessed sources of suffering that were new to him, illness, old age, and death. That literal journey in a royal chariot later prompted Gautama to leave his palace altogether, disavow the comforts that he had been surrounded with, 
and seek a life of rigorous contemplation. The Christian tra tradition reflects the surrendering of oneself to being lost or in unfamiliar territory. As an adult, Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert where he received instructions for a ministry of healing and radical inclusivity that would upend first century Palestine and beyond. During Holy Week, the week leading up to Easter at the end of the 40 days of Lent, many Christians make a ritual journey through what are called the Stations of the Cross to remember the story of Jesus' life, persecution, and death. In the 7th century CE, the prophet Muhammad, founder of Islam, made a miraculous journey, sometimes called his night journey, consisting of two parts. The Isra, in which he journeyed from Mecca to Jerusalem in a single night, and the Mirage, in which he was taken to heaven to receive God's instructions. Ishra wal Mirage, the remembrance of this journey, is one of the most significant events of the Islamic calendar. Muslims celebrate it with prayer and often by keeping their homes and cities lit up throughout the night. Mecca, in current day Saudi Arabia, is the destination of the Hajj, the pilgrimage that all adult Muslims are commanded to make at least once in their lives if they are able to. If you notice reoccurring themes in these sparse summaries, you are not alone. American author Joseph Campbell is perhaps best known for his close study of religious and mythical texts, which resulted in his coining the term, The Hero's Journey. In his book, The Hero with a Thousand Phases, he contended that this journey was a single monomyth. A hero ventures forth from the world of common day into a region of supernatural wonder. Fabulous forces are there encountered, and a decisive victory is won. The hero comes back from this mysterious adventure with the power to bestow boons on his fellow man. This hero's journey begins in the ordinary world the familiar, the known. All is normal, including the hero, until that person receives some kind of summons or call from or into the unknown. At first, the hero denies or ignores that call, but often a guide emerges who ushers the hero across the threshold into the unknown. As the hero encounters a series of trials, they undergo an initi initiation of sorts, culminating in a final battle. When the hero starts back toward the ordinary world, 
they feel like lingering in the new one. Ultimately, however, they return. Some would say they are reborn with a new skill or wisdom that they then share with the world. I don't know about you, but when I think of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, it reminds me of when Frodo and the other hobbits come back to the Shire. And some of them are happy to be back, but some are too changed to stay. Campbell's dissection of the hero's journey might give the impression that with the exception of the hero's guide or mentor, the endeavor is a solitary one. That may be true in the secular world of folk tales and historical myths, but inasmuch as it's reasonable to make this distinction, the world of religion and spirituality invites us to uncover a hidden relationship at play. A journey maker is in relationship with the source of their call. Without that relationship, the journey would be abandoned before it happens. To explore the notion of journey any further, then we have to take apart this thing ca named calling. Seldom are journeys of our own choosing. It's rare that we choose our own speed and direction, in which the reins are securely wrapped in our own hands, or we have with us a detailed map. Most journeys start with the feeling of being tapped on the shoulder by the great, mysterious, transformative something bigger. In Collins, Lavoie offers this compelling reflection. Calls, of course, beg the question, who or what is calling? But in attempting to answer this question, even an exhaustive list of every name for soul or destiny or God would be beside the point. It simply doesn't matter whether we call it God, the patterning intelligence, the design mind, the unconscious, the soul, the force of completion, or simply life's longing for itself, as Khalil Gibran envisioned. It is clear, however, that living means being addressed, as the theologian Martin Buber once said, and whatever or whoever is addressing us is a power like the wind, or fusion, or faith. We can't see the force, but we can see what it does. Primarily, this force announces the need for change. 
and the response for which it calls is an awakening of some kind. A call is only a monologue. A return call, a response, creates a dialogue. Our own unfolding requires that we be in constant dialogue with whatever is calling us. Dialogue signals relationship. The ground of our becoming. If, in the words of Martin Buber, living means being addressed, then what brings us to the point of readiness? How does this monologue of the soul open into dialogue? What does it mean to signal our preparedness to that force that works within and around us? Awareness is one of the many anchors of transformation. We see what we look for. We hear what we listen for. Lavoie points out we must focus on whether a particular call has integrity or not, whether it makes us feel more or less authentic, more or less connected to ourselves and others, more or less right, not morally, but intuitively. Better to ask whether a call will give us a feeling of aliveness, which, as mythologist Joseph Campbell argued, is more important than even meaning for people to experience. In a culture of static noise, it can be challenging to deepen this. How do we shift the wisest voices from the sift the wisest voices from the background noise? Marjorie Howard Smith spiritual director and Presbyterian minister, prescribes this set of questions to her directees. Questions that prime the pump, if you will, and help focus their inner navigation system for the slow, steady pool, pull of collective consciousness. Here are the questions. I want you to answer them for yourself. Where is the holy, that's capitalized, holy, meeting me or drawing me closer in the events and the people of my life and in the world around me? Where have I met the spirit of life today, or this week, or this past month? Where do I feel cut off or drawn away from the holy, and in what circumstances? 
How can I invite alertness to the presence of the spirit of life? How do I engage in attentiveness to life? Notice that all these question, questions ushered us into dialogue. Their answers, however tentative, Take us to the precipice of the known world, signaling our consent to enter the unknown. By extension, our answers to these questions can also take us beyond our comfort level. Journeys unsettle us because they demand a reordering of our lives, our patterns, and our habits. They disrupt life as we know it. Consenting to be changed is not rocket science. It leads to change. As they urge us along the curves of unknown paths, our journeys unleash seismic shifts that knock down structures in our carefully ordered world and lives. <clears throat> Spiritual journeys can also be lonely and terrifying. They force us to become more honest and intimate with our own demons because our problems and shadows come along with us. Paradoxically, no matter how much baggage you have, it doesn't take up any luggage space. No matter how much support or company we invite, we can't escape ourselves. Why pursue a journey then? Why not ignore the call and stay planted in the safe and ordinary world? To be sure, many people do. Don't raise your hands. Stonewalling. <laughs> Stonewalling the invitation to transformative dialogue. However, just as many people will attest that stonewalling bears its own painful cost. That, to paraphrase, to paraphrase Anais Nin, remaining tight in a bud can be more painful than the risk of blooming. More often than not, our journey becomes real and inescapable, not when we finally say yes, but when we can no longer say no. Journeys keep surfacing until we deal with them, Greg Lavoie observes. Generally, people won't pursue them until the fear of doing so is finally exceeded by the pain of not doing so, but it's an appallingly high threshold 
that people have for this quality of pain. In other words, a worthwhile or transformative journey chooses us. We don't choose it out of boredom or a whim. Rather, journeys begin with a call. And they begin sometimes with our saying no or I can't hear you. Or even sticking your fingers in your ears and saying, la, 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 I really can't hear you. We are meant to journey. Our spiritual birthright as Unitarian Universalists is the belief that we are meant to grow and bear witness to our own evolution. Nearly two centuries ago, our Unitarian granddaddy, William Ellery Channing, declared that our whole being is good. Our whole array of capacities is good. And the purpose of life is to unfold all our powers. In his last public address, he said, what is the end and essence of life? It is to expand all our faculties and affections. It is to grow, to gain by exercise new energy, new intellect, new love. It is to help, to strive, to bring out what is within us. In other words, it is to be free. Where is your life? Where in your life is a journey unfolding? How did it announce itself to you? What did you find yourself having to leave behind? What nourishes you along the way? And how do you fortify yourself against the wilderness of lonely moments? Be watchful in the coming days for the journeys that call to you. Know that the purpose of life is to unfold all your powers. Take nourishment for the journey and then begin. Blessed be. Amen.